Mr. DeVries, if you would. Well, thank you guys. It's amazing to be here. And I love pastors Eric and Carrie and their whole family. And I just have to give a shout out to the worship team. You guys led us into the presence of the Lord and I was ministered to as we were ministering to the Lord. And I also got to give you all a shout out for playing some Jason Crab. Come on. I was so, so stoked when you guys started singing, If I Shout. And, uh, that's, I love that song, and I love you guys. Y'all did an amazing job, and I'm so thankful for y'all. I'm thankful to be out here uh, in the presence of the Lord tonight. And y'all, listen, you guys know that I love you, and I love Jesus. You know how you know that? Because the Florida Gators are playing for the College World Series as we speak. And I haven't even checked the score. I don't even know if we're beating LSU or not. But let's say a quick prayer. for the, No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that tonight. But I do want to ask you. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Micah. And if you get there quickly, wait on the rest of us, y'all spiritual people that know where Micah is. Y'all just wait on me to get there for a second. I'm going to do my best to find it. Those, some of those prophets, man, they can be just hidden in there. And you go past them five times, and you're like, that wasn't in between those two books the last time I looked. I know it wasn't, but they're in there. Micah chapter 6, I just want to read one verse of scripture to you tonight, and then we're going to pray. Once again, it's such an honor to be here, and I know that Pastor Frankie ministered last night, and he's a spiritual father to me, and I love him dearly, and I know tomorrow night you're going to be blessed by Pastor Leon Manigan, one of my favorite people in the entire world, and then also on Wednesday, I have to like that guy because he's my dad, and so y'all are going to have a great time with him, and uh, I'm just, I'm believing that God has done, he's going to do, and he's going to continue to do amazing things through this time, and uh, I'm just, I'm blessed to be able to be a part of it. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Most of you that grew up in church could probably quote this scripture without even having to turn here, but we're going to read it. And I'm going to ask if you would stand with me just for the reading of this scripture. This is a conviction that the Lord placed on my heart to just ask people whenever I speak to stand for the reading of God's word. Because I think that it's so important that we show honor. And the word of God is our source of life. It's our source of truth. And without it, we don't have anything to stand upon. And so let's read Micah chapter 6 verse 8. It says, he, speaking of God, has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So you get it, and it's only one verse. We're going to read it one more time. He has shown you, O man. Everybody say, that's me. Okay? He has shown us. So God has revealed to us. He has shown us openly what it is that we are to do, the good thing to do, and what he requires of us, and it's that we would do justly, that we would love mercy, and that we, as his people, would walk humbly with him as our God. Let's bow our head and pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us your word as a lamp unto our feet, as a light unto our path. I pray that as we go through this night, that you would open eyes, open hearts, open ears, that we would hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. Lord, I pray that people would leave here tonight edified, quickened, exhorted, comforted, and even convicted by the Word of God. I pray that you would empty me of myself. I submit myself fully to you to be a messenger of your Word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you just give the Lord a hand clap of praise and then take a seat tonight? 
Well, I want to talk to you tonight on the topic of no excuses. Look at your neighbor and tell them, say, no excuses. No excuses. We're going to leave here tonight, and Zach, we're not going to have any excuses left. You might have come in here with some excuses tonight. You might have some that are tucked in the back of as to why you complain about certain things. Well, I complain because everything keeps going wrong. Actually, maybe everything keeps going wrong because you continue to complain. And so we're going to leave here tonight realizing we don't have any excuse because we have clearly find out, found out through the Word of God how He wants us to live our life. And I want to define to you first what an excuse is. That way you can't even make an excuse for walking in excuses because now you're no longer ignorant to the excuses that you're making. You realize, oh, that's an excuse. Yeah, I guess I'm not going to do that anymore. Okay. So an excuse in the English language is this. It's to attempt to lessen the blame attaching to a fault or offense. So it's that you're trying to disengage yourself or to remove yourself from the fault that you've committed. That you're going to give a reason why, yeah, I did that, but that happened because of this. Or I, I, I reacted that way because of what you said or because of, of my past or because of this or that. So it's the attempt to lessen the blame that is attached to you, even though you're responsible for the blame that is being put upon you. It also means to seek, to defend, or to justify. It means this, to release someone from a duty or requirement. I, you, you remember when you were growing up in school and you got an excuse, right? I'll tell you one of my favorite excuses. Daniel was a baseball player. He knows what I'm talking about. I played catcher when I played baseball. And so when I played catcher and I'd catch bullpen forever, right, during practice, and everybody else would go run poles or they'd go run in the outfield, my coach would say, Spencer, your legs have had enough today. You don't have to run. And that was why I played catcher. That was it. I didn't, I mean, I liked baseball and everything, but the reason I chose catcher was one of the reasons was I found out that my coach wasn't going to make me run if I played catcher. And so I played catcher and I ended up not having to run. I got an excuse from having to run. As you remember, maybe getting excused because, you know, you got to go to the dentist to get your teeth cleaned and you didn't have to be at school and maybe you got dropped off with a happy meal and you had a sticker and you had one of those little snakes and you were showing off to all your buddies because you got an excuse from having to be at school. That's also an excuse is getting out of something. And sometimes that's what exactly what we try to do when it comes to what God has called us, created us, purposed us, destined us, foreordained us to walk in, is we try to say, I'm going to excuse myself from that right there. Why? Maybe because you don't feel qualified, you don't feel called, you don't feel purposeful, you don't feel equipped, you don't feel like you measure up. And so instead of stepping into what God called you and created you to, to be, what he called you to do, you try to excuse yourself. But tonight, we're deciding no excuses. I'm not, not going to try to get myself out of what God called me to do. I'm going to find out how do I get prepared to step into what God has called me and created me to do. So I want to encourage you tonight. This is my goal, to live a life of no excuses. Don't seek to release yourself from the duties 
or the requirements that have been placed on your life by the will of God and by the word of God. And listen, if you're struggling with what is the will of God for my life, the first place you need to go is to the word of God because the word of God reveals the will of God. And so if you don't yet know a starting point for why am I here, what am I created for, start with the word of God. It will open up so many avenues of eternity and life that you couldn't have found out because it's a lamp unto our feet and it's a light unto our path. So don't seek to release yourself or to excuse yourself from the requirements and the, the, the calling that's been placed on your life as a son and a daughter of God. Because you know what we find out in the book of Romans? The earth is groaning for the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God. That means that we most likely all here tonight, if you came out on a Monday evening to Old Town, you are here because probably you're a believer in Jesus Christ. But tomorrow and the next day and the next day and every day that we live for the rest of the time that we have on the earth, we're going to encounter people that don't know Jesus Christ. That they have not yet come into the fullness of the revelation that he truly lived and died and was resurrected, also that could be reconciled to the Father. And so we have a job and a responsibility to be the light, to be a city that is set upon a hill, which not should not be hidden, but cannot be hidden. And so we have that responsibility, but so often... We try to get ourselves out of that responsibility. Oh, I don't have all the right words to say. I don't know all the scriptures memorized. I don't know how to lead somebody in a prayer of salvation. Listen, do not try to excuse yourself. You have a call and a mandate, and there are people waiting on you at work, in your neighborhood, in your family to be who God called you and created you to be. So none of us would be here. None of us would be who we are today if it were not for mighty men and women of God who before us obeyed the Father's will and that impacted our life. I already told you, I call, I consider Pastor Frankie a spiritual father. I look up to Pastor Leon. I obviously look up to my dad and respect him greatly. I would not be who I am. I wouldn't have the honor of being here today. I can remember times where Pastor Eric has spoken into my life or has encouraged me in some shape, form, or fashion. I would not be who I was today if they hadn't stepped into the calling that God had on their life. Who is it that you could impact and influence, but yet you're trying to excuse yourself out of it and you're actually robbing them of the fulfillment of finding out that there's a plan that God has for their life. Because it's only, now listen, I'm not, when I, when I talk about those men or I talk about you doing this, it's not that we can save people. Only God can truly save and redeem people and change you. But you know what God does? He uses men and women. He chooses to use us, flesh and blood, to reveal his love and his character to other people. And so I want you to realize tonight, how many of you have been impacted by a man or woman of God in your life? They've spoken into you. They've spoke a sermon over you. They've encouraged you. Guess what? You can be that for somebody else. But you can't if you remove yourself from the equation. If you step outside of that and go, you know what, I'm just not, I'm not equipped, I'm not called, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough. You know what Paul told the Corinthians, and I love this, I find so much peace in this passage of scripture. As somebody that at times we all feel insignificant and we all feel like we measure up. Listen, even you go and you, you, you search and you find out even some of the most famous people of all time, that had millions of people thronging at them. They had millions of dollars at their disposal. Everybody wanted them. Everybody wanted to be around them. Everybody wanted to be just like them. They still felt insignificant and not enough. 
Because in and of ourselves, we will never reach the pinnacle of feeling like we're actually enough. But you know what Paul told the Corinthians? And this is what I think about when I don't feel like I'm doing enough or I'm measuring up enough or I'm smart enough or I'm handsome enough or I'm charismatic enough. I think about this scripture where Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. He said, for you see your calling brethren. And sometimes when we look at our calling, we go, yeah, and it stinks. It's pretty small. It's insignificant. But listen what he said. You see your calling that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. So here's my message to you tonight. Don't discount yourself. Don't excuse yourself. There is purpose on your life to influence people. Did you realize that sociologists actually suggest that even the most introverted of people will influence up to 10,000 people in their lifetime? Where's all the introverts at? Y'all don't even, I should have asked extroverts first because first, the introverts don't even want to raise your hand, right? How many extroverts in here, okay? I knew those would go up a lot quicker, right? I mean, if Daniel Mills' hand was not the first one up when I said, where are the extroverts at? Then we all know that there's lies and there's sin in the camp, right? I used to be an introvert, and now I'm an extrovert, and I don't know what changed or why it changed, but somehow, in some way, it did. I used to not want to talk to anybody, and now I can't go somewhere without having to talk to people. You know that feeling, all the extroverts, where you, you go into somewhere, and you see somebody, and you don't know them, you've never seen them before in your life, and you don't know why, but you have this desire inside of you, and you cannot help but go up and just talk to them, right? And you're like, why am I so crazy? Why am I so weird? They don't know me, they don't care about me, and if they're not an extrovert, you can really freak those people out. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes it's fun. Like, I'm not saying I play with people or anything, but sometimes it's fun to just watch an introvert squirm a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? But, uh, but, in, I don't even know why I'm telling you guys this. I don't remember how I got it. Oh, yeah. Even the most introverted people, so all the introverts, you will influence about 10,000 people in your life. And you may think, well, that's absolutely impossible. Let me give you just one quick analogy that will show you that this is true. Let's say you go to Jack's tomorrow morning to get a biscuit. Okay, because don't, well, Hardee's can kind of rival Jack's, but Jack's really is, you know, Jack's and Hardee's. Chick-fil-A is pretty good, but they're kind of limited to the chicken biscuit. You know what I'm talking about? I want a smoked sausage biscuit sometimes from Jack's. And so you go in, that's what you're feeling. I want a smoked sausage biscuit. And there's a gentleman behind you in line, and he's gotten, you know, the eggs and the sausage and the pancake platter for years. He goes to that Jack's every morning. But you step up and you say, I'd like to get a smoked sausage biscuit, please. And all of a sudden, that gentleman behind you, without ever talking to you, he goes, you know what? I've never had that. That sounds pretty good. And he steps up to the counter. You've already gone to your table, and you don't realize this, but he steps up to the counter. He orders a smoked sausage biscuit. Guess what? You just influenced that man. You didn't know it. You didn't realize it. And so if you can influence somebody in something small and insignificant like what they order, I don't know how many of you have have been behind someone and what they ordered sounds so good you ordered it or how many times you've been at the restaurant and they're going around the table I got a big family so it takes a long time to get around the table for everybody to order and so you order something and then it gets all the way around the table and they order something else and you're like that sounds good and you're like hey 
because the extroverts, introverts would never do this. Extroverts would be like, hey, hey, can I change my order to what they got? And they're like, they're trying to go back in their thing. The poor waiter or waitress, right? They're just so confused. They're already having to take that many orders. But you change. What happened? You got influenced by that person. Guess what? You, no matter how extroverted or introverted you may be, you have the power to influence people. And so if we realize that, then let's use it to advance the kingdom and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So don't make the excuse that you can't or won't influence somebody. The question is, how many of us have excused ourselves from influence someone before? And the answer is every single one of us. At some point, maybe because of fear, maybe because of worry, maybe because of doubt, maybe because of anxiety or insecurity. But an excuse would sound something like this. Well, you know what? I'm just not outgoing enough. I'm an introvert, so I'm not going to share the gospel with people. Or, you know what? I'm not smart enough. I didn't go do a ministry preparation program. I haven't been. My dad wasn't a pastor. I, I don't know all the right scriptures to say. Listen, I'll tell you this. You will never run short of excuses, Right? It's not like your gas tank that runs out and then you got to fill it back up. The excuses just keep on coming. They're always there. You cannot escape them. And so what you've got to do is decide, I'm letting go of the excuses so that I can grab hold of what it is that God wants me to grab hold of for my life. And so you might make the excuse of this. I'm this way because of my parents. My parents were alcoholics. My parents were drug addicts. My parents were abusive. My parents were, you know, not present in my life. My parents never told me that they loved me, or I never even knew my parents. Or you might say something like, I'm a product of the environment that I was raised in. And I want to say this, I am very like compassionate and sorry for anybody that endured any kind of abuse. I'm not making light of that in any shape, form, or fashion. It's real. It happens. But I know that there is a God that can heal and that can deliver and can restore from anything that you have walked through. So I'm not making light of that. But what I am saying this is I want to tell you something that I heard a while ago that really helped me, and hopefully it will help you. And that is this. Your pain may not be your responsibility. It might not be your fault. Somebody else might have wronged you. Somebody else might have hurt you. But you know what is your responsibility? Your healing. Your healing is your responsibility. Somebody else might have hurt you, wronged you, put you down, but you cannot expect them to come back around and fix the problem that they made because they may never do that. They may not even be here anymore. But you know who does have the responsibility that would have to stand up and stop making excuses for what was or what happened and start living in today and focusing on who God's calling you to be right now and tomorrow is you. We have to have responsibility for ourselves. So I don't mean necessarily that you can heal yourself because only God can truly do that. But you have to choose to lean and walk towards the healing that God's providing. You have to make that decision. So... I want you to get this tonight. You cannot stay. You, those of you that may say, I'm a product of my environment. I'm in a terrible environment. Listen to this. You cannot stay in an infected environment and expect to live a healthy life. As an adult, you are responsible for the environment that you're in. When you're a child, you might not have been able to change the environment that you were brought up in, but I know that God can heal you and deliver you. But there are some of you that you're choosing to put yourself in situations, whether it's a relationship, maybe it's a job, that it's just contaminating your life. It's ruining things. It's poison to your spirit, to your soul, and it's feeding those excuses. And you've got to decide, I'm not going to live this way anymore. 
I'm not going to subject myself to this environment anymore. Think about it this way. Nobody would willfully subject themselves to an environment that's full of a deadly virus. If you found out your neighbors had a deadly virus in their home, you are not going to go and knock on the door and offer to bake them a casserole. Right? Hey, can I come over and watch the game tonight? No. So then why would you subject your spirit man who will actually live forever and has the potential to help transform other people's lives through the influence that God has put on you, why would you subject your spirit and your soul to something that is deadly or that is poisonous? You have to take spiritual responsibility for your own soul and choose, I'm living a life that's subjected to God and I'm not going to make excuses for the way that I am or the way that I was, but I'm going to decide no more excuses. I'm going to let Him change me. I might not be how I need to be yet, but guess what? Let God worry about that. Let Him focus on that. Let Him bring about the change. So this is what He says to us through the prophet Micah in verse 8 of chapter 6. He says, He's shown you Oh man, what is good? That brings so much comfort to my soul that I don't have to figure it out on my own. He laid it out plainly. He showed me what to do. That word shown, where he says, he has shown you, oh man, in the Hebrew, it means to be conspicuous. Okay? It's like the opposite of camouflage. It's like when you go out in the woods and you wear the orange instead of the camouflage and you stick out like a sore thumb. And that's what he's saying is he made it obvious. He made it conspicuous. He made us fully aware and obvious to us what it is that we should do. And that's why I can say to you, you don't have any excuse. I don't have any excuse to go, well, I don't know how to live a good life. I don't know the right way to do things. It, the Word of God made it plain and obvious how it is that we're supposed to live our life. And I'm so thankful for this because He could have, but He didn't leave us stumbling in the dark. He could have just let us figure it out. That's what Pastor Eric was saying earlier, is one time being faithful would have been enough. He would have been fine to leave us there, but he's been faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful. And he could have said, I'll save you, but after I save you, you're on your own. And we all would have ended up right back in the pit of sin that we were in. But instead, he said, I'm not just going to save you. I'm going to show you how it is that you're going to supposed to live your life. And I'm not just going to show you. I'm going to make it plain and obvious how it is that you should do it. He gifted us with the word of God. I've already quoted it like three or four times tonight. Maybe somebody just hasn't gotten it yet. The word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. If you're stumbling around and you don't know which way to go, just illuminate your path with the word of God. Start every morning with opening that book up and going, all right, God, what are you going to show me today? What, do you, what path are you going to lead me down today? As it says in Isaiah, you'll hear it when you walk. You'll hear a voice saying, this is the way. Walk ye in it. And sometimes we wonder, where's that voice? And we're not even opening up the word of God to listen to what it is that he has to say and show us and light the path that we're on. So he gave us the word of God. He also gave us, you know what he, this is amazing. He gave us the Holy Spirit to be a comforter, to be an advocate, to be a counselor. And so that means we cannot excuse ourselves from the responsibility and then expect to live a full and blessed and effective life. But that's what a lot of people want to do. They want to know, why am I so unfulfilled? Why do I just feel like I'm just, I'm just living and I'm just, 
I'm just existing and I'm just working a job and, and I'm not effective. I'm not, I'm not happy. I'm not helping anybody. Well, if you've excused yourself from the call of God because of fear or because of worry or because you don't feel equipped enough, guess what? You will not feel fulfilled until you are fulfilling the will that God has placed and planned and purposed for you to walk in. And so, so many people are wondering, why am I unfulfilled? Because you're out of the will of God. If you get in the will of God that he planned and purposed for your life, guess what? The happiness that you've been looking for, that you've been searching for, that you've been wanting to fill the void inside of your soul, guess what? It'll, it'll show up. It'll be there. Because in his paths, there is peace, there is life, and in his presence, there's fullness of joy. That's what David said. He said, you shall show me the path of life. And in your presence, meaning when I get in that pathway, then there's fullness of joy. If you're lacking joy in your life, you might want to check that you're on the right path that God has for your life. So we cannot excuse ourselves from this responsibility and then wonder, why am I not blessed? Why am I not effective? You know, every single person from the front to the back, everybody in the world, let's just, let's just look at it that way. Everybody in the world wants their life to matter on some level. That's why people will literally do anything online to become famous these days. They'll act like total idiots to get a million views on a video. Why? Because it gives them some false sense of belonging and meaning and mattering. Because all of us want to matter on some shape, form, on some level. But everybody wants to know, why am I here? What's my purpose? What's my calling? What's my destiny? Let me, let me help you into the starting lane, okay? Your purpose, you've got two main goals and purposes, every single person. Love God, love people. That's where it starts. And however you are supposed to love God and love people, He'll lead you into the right path from there. But make sure that your hope, your goal, your purpose, your intent is, God, in my job, I want to love you. In my marriage, I want to love you. At my job, I want to love other people. In my marriage, I want to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Or I want to love my children. I want to do everything that I can to love God and love people. And trust me, if you focus on loving God and loving people, you will become a lot more fulfilled in your life. He made it so simple. It says he has shown us. I love this. He didn't just tell us, he showed us. And how do we see that? Well, first he showed us through the word of God, but thankfully he took that a step further because in the book of John chapter 1 verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And he goes on to talk about Jesus and says, he became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld him as the only son of God. He was full of grace, he was full of truth. And so he came down and he lived 33 and a half years on this earth and gave us eyewitnesses to back up what he did while he was here so that we could look to those reference points and go, that's how I'm supposed to live. He showed us. He didn't just say, oh, I've shown you. He actually came down and showed us. You ever had someone tell you, oh, yeah, I'll show you how to do that sometime. You know, you go to grandma's house and she makes this amazing, you know, peach cobbler. And you're like, grandma, that peach cobbler was absolutely amazing. And she'll go, oh, I'll show you sometime, honey, how to make it. But grandma don't tell her secrets. You know what I'm talking about? There's no way you're going to actually get it. Now, maybe y'all have a sweet grandma. I do too. But what I'm saying is there's sometimes that people tell you, I'll show you, and then they don't actually show you. Well, he said he's shown you, and then he actually backed it up and showed us through the manifestation of Jesus Christ. So he sent him as a perfect example. And he showed us how people are supposed to be treated. That's something that we're really struggling with in our world right now. How do you treat people? 
You see, Jesus came in a time when the Israelites were being persecuted and they were being beat down and oppressed by the Romans. And Jesus showed them, he told them, he said, when somebody forces you to go one mile, go two with them. If somebody asks you for your shirt, guess what? Give them your jacket too. That was his teaching. That's how he showed us how to treat people. He said, if somebody strikes you on the cheek, turn the other one to them. He was teaching us and instructing us. Everything that he did had practical application to show us how we should live our life to number one, please God, and number two, love people so that we would be effective in winning people. So he didn't leave us ignorant. He didn't leave us in the dark. That's why I can say, as Paul said to the Romans, you are inexcusable, oh man. So if we don't know how to live properly, then it's probably because we aren't taking responsibility. We've excused ourselves from the situation. And everybody, this is something that, that bothers me. I've Listen, I've been going to church since I came home from the hospital. That's not a joke. On the way home from the hospital, my parents stopped at church on Sunday morning, okay? So I've been going to church for as long as I've been alive. And here I am tonight on a Monday evening in church. And here's one thing that I've, I've learned about church. Now, it's easy when you spend a long time in church to become cynical about church. What I'm about to say, I'm not saying as a cynic, I'm saying it that I've observed it and I've seen it to be true. Because I've seen people as I grew up as a pastor's son and I watched and everybody wants the pastor to fix them. Everybody wants the prayer to fix them. If I just come to the altar and I get prayed for, it'll all be fixed and it'll all go away. They, they want the, the revival to fix them. I'm going to show up to revival. And listen, God can touch your life, and I hope that he does. But when you walk out of this place, you are now responsible to walk in what he poured into you when you came into this place. So don't just expect this to fix it. Listen, church, the kingdom of God, the presence of God is not a genie in a bottle. It's not just some fix a flat can that you can put in, puff yourself up, and then go out of here and you're completely changed and everything's all automatically differently. He can touch you in a moment. He can deliver you. He can save you, but you still have to walk out the responsibility that he placed on your life. Everybody wants the sermon to fix them. Guess what? I'm hopefully trying to relay some truth to you tonight. This sermon won't fix you. You know what will? Walking in the plan and the purposes that God has for your life and not excusing yourself from it. Because his prescribed plan, he, in that, he has clearly shown that through his word, that if you do not walk this out, guess what? You'll always be frustrated and unfulfilled. And I want this to be encouraging. I'm not trying to be condemning tonight. I'm not trying to come down on you. I want you to leave here with this knowledge, the knowledge that he's shown you what's good. He's revealed it to you. Not You're not doing it. You can do it. He's, he's revealed it to you. He's laid it out for you. He's made it, he's made it easy for you almost. I'm not saying that walking with Jesus is always going to be easy. There's going to be hills, valleys. There's going to be difficulties. But he's laid it out for us how we should do it. In fact, he showed us what is good. You know why he showed us what's good? Because we don't need any help finding out what's bad. We, find, we can find bad on our own, right? So he showed us what's good. And the word good in Hebrew is the word tob. Okay, everybody say tob. I like saying that word, tobe. And it means beautiful, but you know what it also means? Best. So let's read it like this. He has shown you, oh man, what is best. Jesus showed you. Everybody wants the best life. 
right? Isn't that at the root of the American dream, right? The house with the picket fence and the, the, the nice truck and the bass boat and the beautiful kids and the, and the golden retriever running around in the yard, right? Like everybody, that's painted the picture of the American dream. And really what everybody wants is, is because it's placed inside of them by their creator to live their best life. It's not a bad desire to want to have the best life that you can have because when you're living your best life, you can then help other people live their best life. But he's already showed us. This is the plan for the best life. Clearly the best way. And tonight I want to help you unpack this a little bit. This, he also, he says, this is the best way. And then he says, this is what the Lord requires of you. Now we can all get on, on, on the bandwagon of what's best, right? Like we could all, if this was the wagon for best, everyone would be like, sign me up, best or bust, right? Like everybody would be like, let's go. But then you start saying, well, before you get on the, the, the best wagon, there's some requirements and everybody's like, no, I don't want requirements. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want you to tell me what I have to do in order to get on the bus. I, I want to just make sure that I'm living the best life and I don't want any requirements. You know why? Because to us, it sounds militant. It sounds so forceful that the Lord would say, I require this of you. Well, if we think it that way, it's probably because we're looking at it the wrong way because God's love. Everything that he does is in love. It's by love. Even when he corrects us, he does so in love so that we can return to the truth and we can be found in him and we can find blessing. And so when you look at it in the perspective of what you've been given, it's not a lot that God would require something of you because he already gave freely more than you could ever purchase on your own. For So for him to turn around and say, I require this of you is really not that much of him to ask. And so it's like in Psalm chapter 119, David said, you know what he said? I love your commands. In fact, there's 176 verses in Psalm 119. 178 times David talks about the law, the word, the statutes, the commands, all these things. And a lot of times he's saying, I love them. I love them. I love them. I love them. Why would he say, I love your commands? Because when you realize that this is his best way of doing it, and he's just trying to show you how you can be effective in your life, when you realize his love for you, you love to do what he requires you to do. And so when you realize his love for you, you realize out of love, I'm doing what he's requiring of me to do, okay? So now, let's very quickly talk about, because it's 7.50, and I don't think we have a long time until the sun begins to set on us. So what does he tell us to do? Number one, he says, do justly. Now, this is a really easy one to just kind of skip over and be like, oh, yeah, do justly. I'll do that, right? I'm a good person. Good people do just things. But the word justly in the Hebrew means to live by ordinance. Now, let's now talk about what an ordinance is. An ordinance is a piece of legislation enacted by municipal authority. Okay, so what that means is that when God tells us live justly, do justly, what he's actually saying is, I want you to live by the ordinances that I have placed upon your life. So God, in his perfection and in his authority, he has given us a code of conduct in his word. That's why in the book of Ephesians, Paul would say, walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So I can talk to you all night about calling. You're called, you're called, you're called. Guess what comes also with the calling? a conduct that you have to walk in in order to effectively walk in that calling. That you would be worthy of it. That you would live by the ordinances. He gave us these ordinances. So here's what I want to say to you tonight. As we all probably, hopefully, call ourselves Christians, believers, good, 
Bible-believing Southern men and women that love God and try to love people is this. Be somebody that your actions line up with what you say you believe. Do justly. Don't just say, I believe this, but live that way. That's why I love this. Is he says, he doesn't just say, believe justly. He says, do justly. Listen, even demons believe and tremble that there is one God. But he's not just calling you to believe it. He's calling you to do it. Believing the truth is one thing. Living the truth is something different entirely. Living in the truth will cost you sometimes. Living in the truth will cause you to be misunderstood. Living in the truth will cause people to hate you and not like you. Listen, Jesus said they hated me. They're going to hate you all too. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ and you act justly, there's going to be times when not everybody is on your side. Not everybody believes the same way that you believe. And so what he's saying is don't just say you live right, actually live right. Adhere to the word of God. I want to say to you tonight, hear me when I say this, have standards. Let's be people that don't just, because everything's changing around us, we just let our standards fall. In fact, I believe that we serve a God that he will raise up. A standard. And I believe that Jesus didn't come to diminish or to lower the standard by which we're called to live. He came full of grace and truth, the grace that empowers us to walk in truth so that we could actually live by better standards, not by lower standards. And I want to say this it's not legalistic to do the right thing. It's not legalistic to have standards, to be a person of conviction and say, you know what? Instead of choosing compromise, I'm going to be a person of conviction. I'm not going to go back on what the Word of God says about man and woman or marriage only being between male and female. I'm not going to go back on the Word of God when it talks about it's wrong to steal or to lie or to cheat. I'm going to be a person that walks in conviction. It's not legalistic, church to keep oneself unspotted from the world. I don't know who told you that lie. I don't know who slipped in and said, if you start living holy, that's legalism. That's not legalism. Legalism is when you're bound to the law. But we cannot live holy apart from grace. And so we're not being legalistic. We're walking in grace when we talk about living holy. Because grace is the empowerment to do what you cannot do on your own. And so his requirements, they're made from love, not from disdain. You know why? Because he wants you to be effective and beneficial in life. He wants you to be blessed and highly favored so that you can do the right thing. You can do justly. You know what? Doing justly is not just about doing what's right for you. It's about doing what's right for other people. It's about advocating for people. In fact, the book of Proverbs says, speak up for those that can't speak for themselves. Those that have, their, have no voice. If there's somebody, one thing I love, I love seeing so many young people here. It's absolutely amazing. And I want to say to you young people, when you're in school or when you're hanging out somewhere or you're just going out with your friends, speak up for those that are unable to speak for themselves. If somebody starts tearing somebody down, bashing them, be someone who says, you know what, I'm going to do justly. I'm going to do rightly. They might not like it. They might laugh at me. They might not understand me. They might blacklist me from their friends list. They might block me on Instagram, but I'm going to advocate for other people. I'm going to speak up. You're not going to make fun of somebody in my presence because I have been shown the best way and I'm going to do what is right and I'm going to do justly. So take action. That's what, when he says to do justly, that speaks to me of taking action. Let's be people that take action. 
Don't just sit on the sideline. Get involved. Get in the game. Let's not be church people that come and sit on the pew on Sunday morning and then don't do anything the rest of the week. Let's be people that take action and do justly. Amen? Number two, we got to love mercy. Here's the thing. We can't just show mercy. We need to love showing mercy. Because what, what, and let me explain to you what I mean by that. It'd be one thing if I gave something to somebody. I'm like, yeah, they needed it and I had it, so I gave it to them. I'm merciful. I'm a merciful person. I show kindness everywhere I go, you know. And there's a difference in showing mercy to somebody and loving to show mercy to other people. That you're going around and you're look when you love something, listen, Daniel and I were talking about golf earlier. I keep referencing you all the time. I don't I don't know why. You just and this it probably happens to you all the time. I know it does. And we were talking about golf. I love to golf. Let me say this again. I love to golf. One time my family and I went on a trip and we played 100 holes of golf in two and a half days. And when I got home and I woke up the next morning, you know what I wanted to do? Go play more golf because I love playing golf. So because I love playing golf, you know what I do? I look for opportunities to play golf. Somebody says, hey, man, let's go play golf. Normally that's like a nice thing you say to other golfers. I'm like, text me. Let's go. I'm looking for the opportunity. What if we had that attitude towards showing mercy, towards showing kindness, not just doing what we get enjoyment out of, but helping other people find peace and comfort and hope and joy in what they need in their life. So he doesn't just say, show mercy. He says, love mercy. Have an intimate relationship with doing what is good to other people. We should find intense pleasure and enjoyment in extending mercy to other people. Now, what is mercy? First, I want to say this. Mercy is multifaceted, okay? The first and the most simple base definition of mercy is not giving someone what they deserve, right? It's like if my child is wrong and they're bad, which they never do by the way. Just want to let you guys know, my children are absolutely perfect, and I feel bad for y'all that don't have perfect children. But, you know, you're just not blessed with the way that we're blessed. But if, hypothetically, my children were to do something wrong, and they were deserving of punishment, but I chose to tell them, instead of punishing you, I'm going to teach you a lesson and show you mercy. I'm not going to give you the punishment that you deserve. That's mercy. Okay? Now, that's the, the entry level to mercy. But you know what mercy also is? It's according by definition, both in the Old and the New Testament, Hebrew and Greek, it is this. It's kindness and goodness. It's just being kind to people. Just being good to people. Guess what? You don't have to preach a sermon to be nice to people or to be good to people or to just help out your neighbor that needs a hand. You see him struggling trying to get that new couch inside the front door. You don't have to be this big spiritual guru to go over and say, can I help you get your couch in the front door? That is what loving mercy looks like. It's also defined in Hebrew as this, good Deeds. I, I think we should start a new trend amongst believers of good deeds. Let's go, let's go back to just, just random acts of kindness and random acts of goodness. Instead of just keeping our nose down and being like, man, I hope Jesus comes back because things are getting crazy. What if we started loving mercy and looking for ways that we could help other people? 
Just, just trying to find ways that we could bless somebody. In fact, Paul told Titus as he was left in Crete to set things in order which were lacking, he said, I want you to tell those people that are there in Crete that you've got in your church, tell them to be ready for every good work. Don't, don't miss out on the opportunity to do good to somebody else. He said also maintain good works. He said, I want you to be zealous for good works. That word zealous implies that we should be enthusiastic about doing what is good. So he's saying, don't just show up, you know, to hand out food to the needy and just like, well, I'm doing it because the church is doing it. It's a good thing to do and we're here. No, he's like, be enthusiastic about it. Be excited about it. Find a way to help somebody. Meaning, I don't show mercy just because it's the right thing to do. I don't just do it because I have to. I do it because I want to. I find intense pleasure and enjoyment out of seeing somebody else be blessed. That's what loving mercy looks like. Now, here's the thing. This isn't always easy. Because some people are really hard to love. Actually, let me rephrase that. Most people are very hard to love. Let me take that a step further. Even your spouse can be hard to love. Right, babe? I can. I can be very... I was talking about me. I can be very hard to love. But according to the Word of God, it's the best way to live. Even though it's hard, sometimes the hardest thing is the best thing. Let me give you an example. It's summertime. How many of y'all got a garden? Okay, I don't have a garden. I just didn't I just didn't do it. Why? You know why? It's hard. It's hard. And I didn't want to be lugging water out there and watering that thing every day. But you know what my buddy Trevor gave me some cucumbers. And he told me, he said, man, the best way to eat these cucumbers is slice them up and just absolutely cover them in olive garden Italian dressing and leave them in the fridge for about four hours. Y'all ate about four cucumbers in two days because they were so good. I had some this afternoon before I came here. That's my fuel. That's what I'm going on right now is cucumbers and olive garden dressing. But you know what the best thing is? Sometimes it's the hardest thing because that cucumber that was grown in my buddy's garden, trust me, it was better than any cucumber I could have bought at Walmart or the Foodland or the Pig or wherever y'all shop over here in Fetville. Everybody say Fetville. Why do people say it like that? Why do people say that? I don't know. All right. Paul told the Ephesians this, and I'm starting to, to get close. He said that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Realize this. The reason you were created was for good works. That's why God doesn't take you out of here the second you get saved. Because he's got a lot of good things lined up that you need to do. And then it says, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has booby-trapped your day with good deeds. And we miss them because we're excusing ourselves from them. Oh, I don't have time for that. I don't have money for that. I don't have energy for that. I don't have this for that. We're making excuses. When we could be looking for ways to be enthusiastic about showing kindness. There are acts of mercy waiting for you tomorrow. Don't miss them. Love mercy. Third and final one. You ready? Walk humbly with God, he says. I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit saw fit to speak to the prophet Micah and make him include the word humbly. Because he could have just said, do justly. Actually, he could have just said, believe justly, believe in the ordinances of God, show mercy, and walk with God. But he said, I want you to put action to it. I want you to do justly. 
I want you to love showing mercy. And I don't want you just to walk with God. I want you to walk humbly with God. This is a lot easier said than done. It serves to remind us that we're nothing apart from Him. Even when we walk with Him, the only reason that we're anything and can do anything is because of Him. In fact, if you go over to John chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He said, apart from me, guess what you can do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing apart from Him. And that's why we have to realize He's our source. We can't just walk with Him and then all of a sudden think that we're the reason that we got there and we can sustain ourselves. No. He's the reason that we're there. We've got to walk humbly. We're nothing but flesh and blood. Guess what? We can be used by God, but it's Him who works in us both to will and to do His good, good pleasure. So this is God's heart. Not only that you would walk with Him, but that you would be step in step with Him and that you would do it in a humble fashion. So what I say when I'm talking earlier about doing justly, have standards. Have standards, but don't be haughty in your standards. Don't be prideful about the fact that, well, we don't do that in that, this house, and I'm not that type of person. It's okay to be proud about what you believe, but it's not that it makes you better than anybody else. The only reason you can and you do is because Jesus Christ has set you free. So walk humbly with your God. Then that means when you love mercy, when you're, when you're showing kindness to other people, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Be somebody that you, in your good deeds, you're not seeking a pat on the back. You're not seeking the applause. You're not doing it so that other people will take note or other people will praise you. You got to stay modest. Accompany God on the course of life that He leads you on. And don't become too large in your own eyes. Never try to excuse yourself from his plan. He made it simple. You know what happens though? He makes it simple, we complicate it. That's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, I'm afraid that you have been led astray and that you are, are straying from the simplicity that is in Christ. Listen, I'm not promising easy, but it is simple. He made it, if you'll read the word of God and believe the word of God, it is simple, but we complicate it. And I'll end with this. In Luke chapter 10, I don't know if Trinity, could you, could you come play something, Trinity? You played beautifully tonight, by the way. It sounded great. In Luke chapter 10, there was this certain lawyer and he came to test Jesus. Literally his intent was to try to make Jesus look bad. And he said, hey Jesus, teacher, could you tell me, what do you have to do to inherit eternal life? And I love Jesus' response. He said, dude, you're the lawyer. Why don't you tell me what your people are supposed to do to inherit eternal life? He said, you're, you're, you're a teacher. Tell me what you're reading of it. He said, well, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. You know what Jesus said? That's a great answer, man. You knocked it out of the park. But then the lawyer, the Bible says, seeking to justify himself said, okay, Who's my neighbor? Who do you want me to do those things to? Because I'm okay with doing them, but I'm going to need a list. I'm going to need you to show me specifically who do I need to do this to. Jesus said, let me tell you all a story. There was a man that went on a journey. And as he went on this journey, he was attacked by thieves. They knocked him down. They beat him. They took him, took his money. They left him for dead. Guess what he said? A Levite came along, passed by the other side of him. Another religious leader came along, a rabbi, and he went right around him too. But then a Samaritan came up, 
and he saw him. And the Samaritans had enmity with the Jews. They were absolute. It's like Auburn and Alabama or Alabama and Tennessee. It's like they did not like each other. They did not get along. And he came along this Samaritan. The Bible says that Jesus told them in this parable that he didn't just pick him up, but he bandaged his wounds. And he didn't just stop there, but he took him to the inn. And he took him and he put him up in a room. And he said, here's some money. And when I come back through, if I owe you anything else, you just let me know and I'll pay it. One thing that's interesting is this man never sought credit for the things that he was doing. He never said, hey, make sure that Bob took, let, when he wakes up, tell him Bob was the one that took care of him. He just left him. It's like he took care of him, got him in a safe place. He just left. And then Jesus says to the lawyer, he said, which one of them was a neighbor to him? He said, the one that showed mercy on him. Jesus said, yeah. And then he gave us some very important words that I want to listen, you to listen closely to tonight as you stand to your feet with me. Because this is what I hear God saying to every single one of us tonight. Jesus said these words when he answered. He said, now you go and do the same. This story that I just told you, yeah, it was a parable, but it's not just some allegory or some fairy tale. It's how I want you to live your life. That when you see somebody in need, you show them mercy. You go and you do the same. A lot of times when we come to revival, we focus on what we can come to get. Tonight, I want you to focus on what you can go give. Because Jesus said, I want you to go and do the same. Don't just stay here looking around, hey, I've got eternal life. No, go and find somebody that you can love on. Go and, and live by the ordinances that God has placed on our life by the word of God. Listen, I'm, I love the altar. I, my life has been impacted greatly by times in the altar. But sometimes we get so focused on coming up here and getting hands laid on. Like I said earlier, we want the preacher. We want the revival. We want the altar to fix our problems. Sometimes we are going to still be unfulfilled because we're not doing what we've been called to do. So tonight, my commission to you is go and do the same. Like Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world, preach the gospel, man, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So I say to you tonight, don't just focus on what you can come get. Hopefully you got something tonight. But if you got something, it's so you can give something to somebody else. So you go and do the same. If you want to do that, would you lift your hands? I do want to pray over you tonight. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I thank you that there's a calling, a specific purpose on every single one of your children that are here tonight. Whether they know it yet or not, whether they're walking in it yet or not. Maybe they've been serving you for years and years and years and they think that they've come to the place of retiring from the call of God. I pray that tonight you would help us to stop excusing ourselves from being who you've called us to be and that we would do what is best, do what is good, live by your requirements to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you and to do to others as it has been done unto us. We commit ourselves to you tonight to be used for your service, for your honor, for your glory. 
In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you tonight. Pastor Eric. Amen. Do you think God might want us to, like, do something out there? You think he might be trying to get our attention and repeating it over and over again that I want you to go and do justly out there. Go and love mercy out there. Go and walk humbly with God out there. It's good to do it here. I'm thankful for your the light that has shown through you here. All that you've done, all the preparations with all of it. But if we don't do it out there, makes no difference. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Spencer. We appreciate you. And, uh, and uh, well, he's prayed for us. Say amen. We believe it. Amen. Amen. And amen. Um, so do it. Like tomorrow. Like tonight, if you get an opportunity. Tomorrow. Amen. God bless you. I love you much. I don't know.